Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. We're in New Zealand. Good morning. This uh, beautiful Monday morning. I hope it's uh, fine where you are in the country. And uh, we're really getting close to Christmas now. And that it's always a good time of the year, isn't it? Even in COVID times, it's a chance for us to get together and uh, forget about uh, the year that's been almost, uh, or the uh, two years it's been. And uh, look forward to possibly a, a really good one coming up next year. Lots of uh, women's sport in particular to look forward to. There's uh, still a lot of sport to talk about this year. Including the test match that's unfolding in Kanpur at the moment. Craig McMillan will be with us just after 9 o'clock. We've got Jacob Spoonley just after 9.30 as well. Plenty happening in the football world with the Phoenix having their first win. Um, the uh, the women's football ferns uh, struggling a wee bit to get a win. It's been a while. Uh, and of course the EPL busy weekend there. Susie Bates just after 10 o'clock. Of course a star, absolute star women cricketer. Uh, and she's uh, hit, her, hit her straps in the weekend, and then, of course, she's got the World Cup to look forward to, starting uh, next year on March the 4th, uh, not that far away. Jamie Wall and Patrick McKendry uh, will be the panel, Louis Herman Watt, uh, and uh, a visit to the TAB just before 11 o'clock, and, of course, just after 11 o'clock on Monday, it's always Vossy time. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy Sermon. Uh, the HIA system for head knocks has a quick and strict line of questioning attached to it. Firstly on the field, secondly down the tunnel. A set of questions, any doubt, you're out. The DRS system, around somewhat longer, seems still have uh, a lot of uncertainty about it. Wearable pitches, wearable makes contact, and to what and its forward path after contact continues to provide conjecture, and to be very honest, the Black Caps have a very poor record of its implementation. For a start, for me, the DRS system should only apply to batsmen 1 to 8. Anything after that for 9, 10, 11 is a bonus, so don't go saving it for them. On the pitch, you've got 15 seconds to decide. So the non-striker to the striker, did you hit the ball? Striker to non-striker, where did it hit me? Would it hit the stumps? You've got to simplify it. You've only got 15 seconds. It seems Will Young, a very valuable wicket, is the last victim of getting it wrong. In these vital spinning tests, it's more important and apparent than ever the spinners will win this test. That was a given uh, the day this tour was announced, way, way back. It's so lopsided in their favour, it's not funny, just as it is for the quicks when we host teams here. Unfortunately, though, for us, that is now coming to our detriment in the subcontinent and will always do so unless we learn to play it better. It's a hell of a compliment to Tim Southey and Cole Jamieson that we're actually still playing this test match. Our three spinners bowled 102 overs, 
Ajaz Patel only managed the success. For India, 10 out of the 11 scalps they've got so far are to spin. At Hill, they opened the bowling with two spinners in the second innings. The greatest of the tweakers, Shane Warne, marvelled at our success in winning the World Test Championship final, but without uh, having using a spinner, he did say it was somewhat disappointing and a poor reflection. He's a tad biased to spin, we know that, but we need to shift ours a little bit more in that direction. We have to learn to bowl it better, and when we do, we'll learn how to play it better. It might be time to invest in some full-time overseas coaching, or maybe discover a Conway type who can turn it square. Surviving today is uh, temporarily sealing the cracks. We have to get more revolutions on the ball and stop hiding in the grass. Well, it's uh, been a busy weekend of cricket, of course. Uh, you'd expect that at this time of the year. It dominates the headlines, and uh, it's hugely important uh, for us that uh, we get this uh, test match, uh, I think, uh, saved if we can, but on a positive note. And I don't think there's anyone more positive to talk about it than our former Black Caps uh, batter, Craig McMillan. Uh, so many uh, situations he's played in here with uh, the Black Caps under pressure trying to survive, so... Uh, let's uh, get his thoughts uh, as we join him now. Uh, morning, Mac. Morning, Smitty. Right, OK, let's look at the scenario here, mate, before we go into the where's and why's. 280 to win. Um, so do, what, do, what do we do here? Ideally, um, it, it's gettable, nine wickets in hand, uh, severely against the odds. What would be your approach? It is doable, and the guys have to believe that, um, is it? I mean, it's highly unlikely, isn't it, when we've only won two test matches over there in 70-odd years. And you look at the different days and the runs scored. Day one, 258 runs scored. Day two, 216. Day three, only 181 runs scored. And then yesterday, day four, just 224. So we're asking for the most amount of runs to be scored on the final day in the toughest batting conditions. So that shows how big the task task will be for this New Zealand side. But 280 is not out of the equation, especially if I think one of those experienced players, the likes of a Ross Taylor, a Kane Williamson, peel off a, a special 100, and it's going to take something very special to get to that total. To even back throughout the day is going to be a special effort. So they have to be positive. They can't afford to just go in with the mindset of um, batting for a draw because that won't happen with that mindset. There's enough on that surface they're going to face a lot of spin throughout the day that something will happen. So they actually have to find a way to put some pressure back on the Indian bowlers so that they don't have as many attacking fielders around the bat and that gives them a better chance of surviving. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Concur 100% uh, that they've got to be positive, even in defence, they've got to be positive. Uh, let's uh, talk about the, the performance or of our bowling attack. I mean, I think it's been an honest performance particularly from the seamers, maybe even closer to outstanding when you look at Southey and, and Jameson. Uh, but they've, uh, they've got all but, the three, all but three of the wickets that we managed to secure in the course of uh, those two innings. So, Matt, uh, lack of penetration from our spinners. Uh, 102 overs we bowled at them, and Ajaz Patel picking up three wickets. Yeah, it's been an issue, hasn't it? When you play three spinners, you um, expect them to do, A, a bulk of the the bowling and probably pick up a bulk of the wickets and that hasn't happened for New Zealand. I think 
you're right, I think it's been quite a remarkable performance by Salvi and Jameson. Quite often you hear in this New Zealand team attack that um, they can only perform in New Zealand conditions because they're weighted in their favour. Um, well, I think that's been blown out of the water, and I think the bowling performance from both Salvi and Jameson has just been outstanding. And effectively, that's the reason that New Zealand are still in this test match. Um, I guess there's a question mark um, in terms of uh, Will Somerville, who, to me, is a very steady off-spin bowler. Um, he does a job. He can control the run, run rate. But he's bowled 40 overs without picking up a wicket in spin-friendly conditions. So the question for me is, if Neil Wagner had played this test match and bowled 40 overs, would the figures be the same? I don't think they would have. I think Wagner would have picked up three or four wickets minimum, so that would have helped New Zealand in their cause. So that will certainly be something that I guess the coach and the captain will have to factor in when they pick the side for the second test of Mumbai. Um, but yes, it's difficult for our spinners. They look rusty, they look under-bowled, underdone, which um, was always going to be a little bit of an issue with the preparation that they had moving into the series. But certainly it's going to be a trial by spin for the New Zealand batsmen today. Um, but our spinners perhaps haven't stood up like we probably would have wanted them to. Yeah, Mac, when you, you talk about the uh, the DRS system, and I've just highlighted it again a bit this morning because of the fact that it appears that Will Young should perhaps have reviewed his and uh, he might still be out there with all 10 wickets in the bank, which would have been great because he played so well in the first innings. But um, we didn't, and uh, he got sent. So tell me, uh, when you were around the Black Caps as such, did you have a, a system about the system? Did, did you talk about how you communicate on the field? Yeah, we did, and the first thing was to wander down and talk to your mate because quite often um, the non-striker gets a better line, a better view of, of the actual delivery and where it's heading. Um, but last night it just seemed so slow. like There didn't seem a lot of urgency. The ball turned square, and he had a decent stride in. There was always some doubt as to whether it was going to be hitting lead stump, and it just looked like it was in slow motion. So you always encourage the guys that if you feel you know, that it's not something not right about it, use it, that's what it's there for. You'd rather that they used it and got one wrong than save that you have a guy walking off the field like last night who didn't use it because he was too late on the signal and then you find yourself a wicket down. So it's one of those things that we still don't haven't quite got right and it, and it comes and goes, but yeah, that was a big play last night in that final couple of overs of the day. So you get a guy like Will Young who's you know still making his way and uh, into the test side as a regular. Uh, he looks a very fine player, I've got to say. Um, but do, do you have that as a young player think, oh, I better not steal one of Canes or I better not steal one of Rosses or I better not steal one of Henry Nichols? Uh, I mean, is that thought in your mind? Because, I mean, a more confident player might just say to hell with it. I deserve, I'm one of the best players in this side. I deserve to take that punt. I'm not going to leave it up to... Tim Salvi having it at number 9 or 10, what's the point there? Um, you know, do they have that kind of train of thought? Well, I hope they don't, Smithy, but, but I think you're right. If there'd been a more experienced player there, it, he probably might not have even gone down and discussed it with Tom Latham. He might have signaled straight away because he felt there was something wrong about um, the dismissal. So, yeah, I, I guess with inexperienced players, that can be a factor, and that's why they'll go down and chat, and that's where you want the non-striker, the batting partner, just to back him up and say, mate, there's some doubt there, I think you should go upstairs, and you want that conversation to happen. The conversation was just a bit slow, and um, obviously that was um, the disappointment and the reason that Will Young had to walk off last night. 
So let's look at um, the positive side of batting today. As a, 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 a batting coach, etc., how are you talking to these guys? And I mean, you know, we've got three very, very, four very experienced players um, in and around the scene now. So what do we talk about here in terms of positivity? Do we, we take our natural game out of the equation? Do we say to Ross Taylor, look, if you can get 40 in a hurry, uh, those guys are going to disappear from around the bat, etc. What, how, do, how do you approach uh, this positivity about trying to either save or win? Well, uh, we talked about partnerships. That's going to be a big key today is building partnerships. I think back to New Zealand bet Pakistan and the UAE a few years ago, Smitty, where we faced similar conditions actually in Dubai and the UAE where the ball was turning against a very good Pakistan spin attack. And I remember Ross Taylor scoring a very good 100 in Dubai where he came out and he was positive right from the start. At times, it looked like... Um, I wouldn't say reckless, but it was certainly aggressive and perhaps a bit more aggressive than what Ross Taylor is at the start of the innings, but it really got him going. And, and I think if Ross is just relying on defence, then surely one, one of those deliveries is going to have his name on. So he's got the mana and, and the experience um, and the record behind him to actually go out there and be a game changer. So I would be encouraging him. Um, and the experienced guys on the side that you mentioned are actually our best players of spin. So Latham, Taylor, mm. Williamson and Nichols have all done well in, in spin-friendly conditions. So they're the four guys that really have to set the platform and, and build some partnerships because India will get, they'll get nervous if they don't have New Zealand three or four down at lunch. You know, if New Zealand have those partnerships going throughout the order and start getting closer to that target of around 280, then they'll get nervous and the pressure will go back on them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I think they've got to be uh, very positive in what, what they do. Now, um, over the weekend, the uh, Super Smash got underway. What did you make of uh, what you saw there? Yeah, it did. I thought there was some really good cricket on show. So I think Wellington, uh, Firebirds and the Wellington Blaze looked like um, two pretty well-oiled machines. Um, they've got some good players. Finn Allen again showed what a dynamic player he is. Um, and Mealy Kerr was outstanding with the bat and with the ball. She picks up wickets against Canterbury for fun. So I think we saw yesterday that uh, Dane Cleaver, who um, is perhaps a name that not a lot of people know around the domestic scene, but he's been with Central Districts for a number of years and has been in the New Zealand A set up. He played beautifully with um, a hundred, unbeaten 100, which got his team the Central's backside. But I think with the New Zealand players away and quite a big squad away, it's a great opportunity to see the next tier and the next, perhaps, superstars of our game. So it's been a good start to the domestic season. Yeah, it has indeed. And uh, just finally, before we let you go, Mac, uh, uh, Pat Cummins uh, with uh, Steve Smith as the deputy. So the, uh, the fact that Steve Smith is the deputy all of a sudden suggests to me, really, that all is pretty much forgiven. Uh, would you say, in that respect? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Smith. I think... Cricket Australia would have, um, in an ideal world, probably preferred Steve Smith to be captain, but with uh, everything that's going on, that, that probably wouldn't have been the PC look and, and the smart, from a public point of view, appointment. So Pat Cummins is obviously um, a very nice guy from, from all accounts. You hear he's obviously a great bowler. Um, he's done a little bit of the vice captaincy work. So um, that was perhaps the easier choice and the smarter choice for Cricket Australia with 
the fires that they're dealing with at the moment, but you sort of feel that Steve Smith at some stage will probably captain Australia again, but perhaps the time wasn't quite right now. Yep, absolutely, mate. Well, thank you very much. Uh, be five o'clock. I'll be glued at five o'clock. Uh, just I know it's, it's it's ball by ball. I know it seems hard to explain to um, uh, people sitting at home. It's ball by ball when you're perhaps looking at, at surviving up to four hundred and eighty of them. But uh, that, I guess from a batting point of view, that, that's how you got to look at it, ball by ball. Because uh, with their spinners, every ball is so different. Yeah, for sure. And I guess the message to New Zealand batting line up today is don't join the hole. Throw some punches, um, make life difficult for the Indian bowlers, and you just never know. And with this New Zealand side over the last couple of seasons, they've accomplished some pretty special things. So let's keep our fingers crossed that they can do something and uh, perhaps have our third test victory in India after a number of years. Yep, absolutely, mate. Uh, I totally agree with you. Thanks very much for your time this morning. Enjoying your work. My pleasure, Smitty. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Craig McMillan there with, uh, has become a regular for us, which is great. Um, it's 9.19 here on SENZ. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Test match so far, Double eight, double three. Uh, what about the fact that um, we're only able to get uh, three uh, spinning wickets, three spinning wickets uh, in the space of 102 overs? It is, a, to me, a, a genuine area for concern. Have you got a, a recipe for it? I mean... How, how are we going to fix this situation? Because it's like so home and away at the moment when we're playing our cricket at home, we're great. And, you know, when they're playing the majority of games at home because of COVID or whatever, uh, we will always be up the top of the ladder, but it's not going to be that way all the time. What about the balance? Because they're going to get us back to the subcontinent on a regular basis as World Test Champions. They want us there. They want us there. So uh, what are we going to be able to do? How, have you got a, a theory on how we can fix it? or what we should be doing better in terms of our spin bowling and making them far more of a threat in the Test match game. Uh, there is that to consider. Uh, we'll come up with some more ideas shortly, but um, start off with that one, double eight, double three. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.25 here on SENZ, and Cliff has called in from Dunedin. He's a regular, I like his opinions. Good morning to you, Cliff. Morning, Smitty. Yeah, interesting test match. It was interesting yesterday when they were five for 50 odd, and I, I was mm. really surprised as I was out playing golf and I didn't didn't hear that the start. Uh, yeah, it was it was a shot, but yeah, we just couldn't finish. And I think at the end of the day, the the biggest problem Williamson had was when he looked around the field, he was looking for Wagner or Colin de Gronholm. They weren't there. And, and I know Collins probably wasn't the man, but without Wags, those those other fellas just weren't doing it. You know, to me, Sullivan was bowling like autumn leaves. He was just he was just trying to throw it up at roundabout off stump on the lead. He was never looked like getting anyone out, and he wasn't risking bowling anything other than his usual stock delivery. Um, mm. You know, Williamson. I think he struggles with his with his spinners because he's had Santner for such a long time and half the time he would never bowl him and he would hide him for a few overs here and there in the test match. He just relied on Colin and Wags and the two other seamers to keep bowling all day. And now that he's got three spinners, 
you know, and, and none of them are particularly threatening. The left armour, at least he, he looked like he might have had the odd one that would sneak through, maybe an arm ball. But yeah, it was it was it was disappointing that we couldn't have nipped them out. You know, they put on nearly two hundred those last two wickets from fifty five to two about two forty. That uh, was pretty hard. But we still got today. We still reckon? got today, Cliff. Uh, yeah, uh, my my reckoning is we've got to be very positive about it. Uh, we can't afford to have six or seven blokes around the bat because they know we're just going to try and block it all day. I think. Uh, we have to we have to just spread the field a wee bit and take away some of that close catching danger. I think if we have a positive start to it, um, Rahani might be thinking, "Oh gosh, I cannot afford to lose this Test match. I might have to go a bit more defensive about the whole deal." So, I'd rather see the field going out and coming in. Forget my drift. That, that's it, Cliff, for me. And I think we we win or we win or save this Test match in the first session, not the last one. We'll ha- we will have to have at least six wickets in hand going into the last two hours of this test match. So uh, that's the way I see it. Cliff, thanks very much for your call this morning um, and your analysis. Uh, look forward to it when, uh, whenever you uh, find the time to do it. It's great. Thank you. Chris has come in and said, this test match has been amazing. Apart from the umpires, a few bad calls for both sides. Looking forward to an amazing final day. Well, uh, we're going back to the old days, haven't we, with COVID being around. The fact that of the matter is we have to put up with... Uh, Local umpires, well, you know, it's going back to the dark ages, it seems. But this, the system is in place to stop the bad ones. The system, you've got to use the system better. Um, they wanted the system. They want this review system. They were sick of getting howlers and bad decisions. Uh, so they've got to turn around and use it to your advantage, not your disadvantage. And I, I think for our uh, particular way of doing things, that's uh, more often to our disadvantage uh, hi, Smithy. would like to see how a New Zealand A team is spending more time in the subcontinent to build up the experience in those conditions. Cheers, Paul. Uh, absolutely right, Paul. Um, you know, in normal situations, uh, when you're playing a couple of test matches in a place like India or Pakistan or even Sri Lanka, you might have a warm-up game. Uh, we didn't have that. Our guys didn't have that because the focus was on the T20s, the T20 World Cup, then the two T20s or three T20s against India, um, which were... Pretty much superfluous in the end because no one threw their best players at them. So I, I kind of think that would have been better served for our test squad in particular, playing a three or four day game somewhere around India uh, in Indian conditions. So I, I, I think that is a, a very good point that you make, Paul, in that respect. Um, as Jeremy Coney said last night, uh, we don't have a system in place uh, when it turns to producing good spinners. The pitches aren't conducive to taking spin here. No regular selections. Australia have Lyon, who plays on similar pitches over there, and he plays every test match in some one-day internationals. Three, no trust. Kane doesn't bowl his spinners in test matches. We need a full review of our spin bowlers in New Zealand, identifying some talent, and then throw Daniel Vittori or bring someone in to coach spin on a more regular basis. And I totally, totally agree with that as well. The other option is to go and find a spinner. The 10th best young spinner in, um, in India or Pakistan, the 10th best, would hose into our test side at the moment. I mean, he won't ever play for India or Pakistan. Maybe we have to go talent searching if we want to be um, that way inclined. Don't know. Interesting. Absolutely interesting. But prompted some discussion. That's good. Keep those texts coming in. Double eight, double three. It is news time.
right, 9.32 here on SENZ Football now, and there's plenty of action happening around the world from the Football Ferns to the Phoenix, of course, to the English Premier League. And to talk about it now is uh, former All Blacks, uh, All Blacks, All Whites, sorry, former All Blacks goalkeeper and Sky Sport uh, football commentator and Jacob Spoonley. Uh, Jacob, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. The Phoenix, a draw and a win, a really promising start to the season. I'll take former All Blacks, but I'm really happy with that, mate. That's a great way to start my Monday. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Yeah, it is, it's, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, it's a great start to the season for Tully. It's the best in his three years in charge. Um, as you touched on, mate, a win and a draw. Over the first six games in his previous two seasons, that's the total aggregate points that he's got um, from that opening stanza. So um, really, really pleasing. And another good performance against Central Coast. Um, they look good going forward, in particular that left-hand side carved up Central Coast at times with McGarry Piscopo and Sotirio really getting in and amongst it. Well, it's good. Uh, at 40% of possession, I was looking at some of the stats, they lived on 40% of possession, uh, won the match 2-1 uh, uh, with goals to Hooper and Sotirio. Uh, what is impressing you about the, the early look of the squad, Jacob? It's the system. Uh, so I think everyone's familiar with Tale's 4-2-2-2. There's a bit of an awkwardness around that. It's a bit non-traditional. And it really relies on the players understanding their roles in that system. And what we saw from the starting 11 was a group of players that have either played for Tale for the first three seasons he's been in charge at the Phoenix, or they've played for him and come back into that Phoenix environment. So there's consistency in terms of that playing pool. There's a familiarity with the principles that Tale wants to play with. And I think that's really the foundation for the Phoenix hitting the ground running um, in this in this A-League season. So if you want to look at key players, for me there's a really interesting dynamic with a, a core spine of uh, New Zealand players. The Ollie Fallon goal is the vice captain, took the armband off Alex Rufa when he went off. Uh, and then you've got Clayton Lewis pulling the strings in that midfield. Uh, and then Ben Old and Ben Wayne coming on off the bench, um, both academy uh, players, so it's, it's really promising. Um, we've got kind of the present and also the future combined in the starting eleven at the moment. Uh, it's incredibly early to start making predictions, so I won't. But I will notice the fact that Melbourne have started <laughs> again very strongly, very strongly. They have, they have. Um, so Melbourne City uh, and Melbourne Victory this year. Melbourne City obviously boast a all soccer rouge front line of Lethe, McLaren, uh, and Naboo, and Naboo scored an absolute screamer against Adelaide on the weekend in that wonderful 2-2 uh, result. City was 2-0 up with 10 minutes to go, and I think uh, Adelaide came screaming back into the match. So um, they're, they're going to be very formidable. The real revelation for me is the way in which Tony Popovich has started. Obviously, Melbourne Victory were an absolute shambles last year, um, finishing with the wooden spoon, I believe. And he's turned them around quick smart. And not only that, he's doing the best out of Marco Rojas, who got two assists. And the Navy Blues look like they're going to be a blunt instrument that's going to bludgeon opponents. Um, over the course of 90 minutes this season, a real Popovich side that's not going to take any prisoners. Uh, just can we turn our attention now to uh, the All Whites, Jacob? It's been, I think, a pretty productive sort of, oh, I don't know, two or three months for, for Danny Hay and, and uh, those around him in terms of discovering what they need to know going forward. It has, and that's really important to me. So we are heading into, and I've said this a lot, a very congested 2022 um, yeah, the, the match challenge is a little bit uncertain at the moment as we're trying to figure out what's going on in terms of World Cup qualifying. We know that if we get through Oceania, we're going to be up against CONCACAF. So 
Um, anyone from uh, USA to Panama to Mexico is on the table there, um, depending on how they go. But Danny's done a great job in terms of um, figuring out the, the depth and the plethora of options that he's got available to him. So we've seen Nico Kuhn, for example, who's um, really taken his opportunity at a very uncertain right-back position. But I think the most important thing out of all of this is that we're seeing our best players on the pitch. We know Sarkar Singh is a wonderful talent. We know Chris Wood can score goals and do it at the highest level, but we've seen them combined for, uh, on the field for the All-Whites, and that's really promising because we're going to need to get the best out of our key players in order to have a shot at getting to Qatar at the end of next year. There's a lot of uncertainty uh, still, though, Jacob, about the actual Oceania qualifying process. So what are you seeing there? At the moment, um, there's, there hasn't been anything out of OSC. So Oceania Football Confederation are the ones that set the perimeters and the structure of the tournament. That's an ongoing conversation. And you can appreciate that there needs to be some discussion given the impacts of COVID. What was originally proposed is that the tournament would take place in Auckland in January. Now, there's discussion that the tournament's going to be pushed back to March. We're not sure what the structure looks like at the moment. And we are hearing suggestion that it will be pool play plus knockout. Now, you obviously can't fit that into a single FIFA window. And with the intercontinental playoffs then occurring in June, the question really becomes, how are you going to uh, fit a square peg into a round hole? And we don't have an answer at the moment. And you obviously like some certainty because Danny needs to start planning and we need to get through those qualification series um, first and foremost before we start thinking about the intercontinental playoffs. So it's a case of watch this space, unfortunately. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. You're right there. Uh, we've got to watch this space too for uh, the football fans. For, uh, we really need, uh, well, they really need two in particular for, and for their coach, Clem uh, Clover, to, to get a win on the board. It's been, you know, back to March 2020 since they last had a victory, and uh, they, well, they had a chance the other night, and they've got to play South Korea again. They do, and what she's getting is the opportunity to put her, um, it's going to be the rather young football fans, it's got to be said, which is to her credit, up against some world-class opponents. They played the Olympic champions in Canada, didn't have a great first game, but really took a massive step forward in that second game, uh, closed the gap quite considerably from um, that big loss first up to a 1-0 loss uh, to Canada. And then we saw uh, over the weekend um, the, them go ahead against Korea. So a really promising, um, I think, series of developments. You're seeing incremental improvements um, over a very short or very quick introductory period for Kumkova. And for me, I think you always can tell a good coach by the way in which their players make it obvious what the plan is. And with Kumkova, you see a very clear plan. We're going to disrupt when we don't have the ball. We're going to bring energy and work rate to shut down the ball at source. And then when we're on the ball, we want to be brave. We want to try and pivot. We want to get that ball um, in between the lines and get at the opponent. And I think you saw a really good uh, shift, a good 60 minutes from Avic Collins, um, a player, a young player that's only been in the football ferns for three caps. Um, and her combination with Jackie Hand, who's also uh, only got three caps, was great to see. And really promising considering that we have an issue at the moment with unlocking the uh, opponents and and putting that ball on the back of the net. So we saw a couple of chances created by Collins, and I think she's bringing a different dynamic to that front line. Yeah, well, we'll uh, watch with interest uh, that uh, rematch and see if they can get something out of that. Wins for Brentford, Leicester, Man City overnight. Chelsea won, Man U won. Uh, Man U uh, giving away another uh, goal advantage there. 
Uh, look, we're looking at Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool at the top and there's just a little gap starting to emerge. We're, what, 13 games into the season, Jacob? Um, are we seeing that divide and it's only going to open up more? Is that how you see it or, or what? Yeah, absolutely. I see um, uh, Tuchel's Chelsea is an absolute machine. They've got not only a really strong starting eleven, they're good from the goalkeeper uh, and Mendy right the way through to Werner, um, and Havertz up front, and obviously Lukaku. So um, they're, they're the formidable force in the Premier League at the moment. And I think it's going to be potentially even two tiers up that top. I think Chelsea might put um, some distance between themselves and Liverpool uh, and Man City as part of that top three. But you're right. I think this is a three-horse race at the moment because United simply cannot get things right. And they're an absolute shambles at the moment. Um, I think they were very fortunate uh, to get a result this morning. Uh, they were basically handed it by uh, an error uh, from Jorginho on the halfway line to get themselves ahead, and Chelsea couldn't get um, the ball in the back of the net to make it 2-1. So the Chelsea machine started this morning. United, again, I don't think they're going to be included as part of the title race. What's your team, just by the by? Uh I'm, I'm, I'm the, left, uh, the red side of uh, Merseyside, Smitty. So um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive Klopp fan. I think that was the perfect marriage when he came to Liverpool. And uh, I'm, I'm just wondering that Liverpool might not have the depth to compete this year. OK, interesting. Uh, hey, Jacob, you've been great, mate. Thank you very much for your insight into all those particular footballing areas. Summed it up beautifully for us. Uh, we'll be calling you again, mate. Don't worry about that. Thank you. Have a good day, Smitty. Talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah, cheers. Jacob Spoonley there, former all-white, of course, goalkeeper, um, with his uh, take, and very, very well, uh, too, his take on so many footballing matters, summed it up beautifully in such a short space of time. Outstanding. Uh, 9.42 here on SENZ. Uh, we're getting plenty of texts in on this all-white. Uh, all uh, this, all uh, this, Yeah, I, I suppose not so much the all-whites. Um, there is a, a, the odd message in that there, but predominantly the black caps as well on the spin bowling issue, what we're going to do about it and how we're going to get out of today. Uh, more text to read out very shortly. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 9.48 here on SENZ and Stephen has called in from Wellington this morning. You got cricket on your mind, Stephen? Yes, I do, Ian. Hey, um, first thing first... Um, Really enjoying the commentary. It's great to hear the uh, you know having the commentary um, with the test matches. Hey, I just wondered too: if the, is there a possibility with the commentary team being extended and adding these two? I think very knowledgeable uh, gentlemen. One called a Brian Wattle, and the other one I think is called an Ian Smith. <laughs> Stephen, thank you very much for that. Um... Yeah, uh, I think Wads, uh, now I could be wrong here, but I think Wads is still contracted to the enemy, um, NZME, who are another station, so uh, he's a full-time broadcaster, so um, he, he wouldn't be eligible, he wouldn't be allowed to come and do it for us. Uh, from my point of view, um, not required, Stephen, um, and I'd only be able to do the first uh, couple of hours anyway before I get uh, go and fall asleep, because I'm an old man now, so um, to be honest, <laughs> um, yeah, to be that's the perfect honesty about it. Hey, look, they are doing a great job. There's no doubt about it. The guys yeah. are doing a great job. It's not an easy thing to, um, to be able to commentate radio-wise off a TV screen because when you're commentating radio, you look for clues around the ground 
uh, that you don't often yes. see on a TV screen. You can see people out of the corner of your eye moving and that, that the cameras won't have picked up. Uh, they don't have that advantage uh, when they're commentating from the other side of the world. So what those guys right. are doing yeah. right now is an extremely, extremely hard art, Stephen. Yes. Now, can you tell me, is, is Jeremy, is he over um, broadcasting from the UK or is he down in Christchurch? No, Christian Mark? <laughs> no he's in New Zealand. He's still in New Zealand. So um, yeah, oh. he's broadcasting from a, from a home-based situation. No, he's, he's back here at the moment. So um, not quite sure when he intends to go back to the UK, but uh, certainly he has spent a good considerable time back here during these COVID times. So uh, we're getting oh, the best great. of it. We're the lucky ones. Yeah, yeah we're the lucky yeah, ones. Yeah, we are. Thank now, you so much. Now, uh, do you have a yep. moment? Can I just... I um, wanted to do with the, with the spin uh, thing and get your comments mm. too. And um, last night it was very interesting um, with the commentary. I think it was with um, Jeremy and also Garth, and um, I think Richard mm. came a bit later. But they were they were talking about spin, and you know, I mean, if we go back to the sixties and seventies where we had some quite good spinners, and our wickets seemed to be a little bit more conducive particularly maybe in the third or fourth day for a bit spinning. And now we just seem to be creating these pace wickets. Um, I, and, and Jeremy had a, a point where they said, well, what about some of the, you know, out um, Tauranga, Mount Maunganui way, you know, um, somehow producing some, some wickets that's going to take a bit of spin. Now, um, I, I wondered whether they can, with the the soil that they have here, whether they can start looking at if there's a way of producing, say, for the third or fourth day, where we're going to see them be tuned up a bit, where you're know, going to get some maybe little cracks, where it's going mm. to encourage spin bowling. Um, and that that's part of my question. And the other one for you is that, what is the New Zealand Cricket Academy doing? I mean, it seems like we had people like um, Dale Hadley and others, but it seemed to be more of um, looking at maybe pace bowling, I don't know, maybe batting, I don't know what they do for spin bowling, and um, if they could maybe bring someone like John Bracewell in there and maybe even yep. Daniel Vittori. Yep. We've got a, they're two names who I'd invest in heavily. Uh, Stephen, thanks so much for your call, by the way. They are two names I would absolutely invest in heavily on experience and success levels. Uh, they just have to be involved. And if they're not going to bother with those guys, then they have to perhaps get someone from overseas. Uh, in years gone by, we had the late Ashley Mallet from Australia come over. We had Terry Jenner come over and look at our leg spinners, but uh, not consistently enough to, to follow their pathway all the way through. And as far as the pitches were concerned, Totally, 100% agree with you. They've got to wear more quickly. They have got to wear more quickly in this part of the world. Otherwise, we will never learn how to bowl spin on them and never learn how to bat against spin on them. They are the most important two things. A wearing pitch has to come into play over a four-day period. It is 9.52 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have time for a multi before 10 o'clock. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, Smithy's multi, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
Well, the weekend went okay for us. The Buffalo Bills did beat the New Orleans Saints on Friday. That was quite convincing. Uh, the Phoenix did beat the Mariners, as we know. Uh, they beat them 2-1, and Arsenal beat Newcastle 2-0. So we got that one up, $4.31. So that was uh, a pretty good finish to the weekend. Uh, today, we've gone a little bit of uh, NFL and a little bit of basketball. So the Baltimore Ravens to beat Cleveland later this afternoon at $1.59. Um, I had to make a change because the Grizzlies uh, and, uh, sorry, the Warriors uh, and uh, the Clippers are already underway. Um, so we have to make an adjustment there. So we've gone, uh, taken that game out. We've still got the Grizzlies to beat Sacramento at a buck sixty, And I've got the Raptors as well. The Raptors to beat the Celtics at $1.87. So I'm just going to multi that up for you right here and now and come up with the answer for you. Yeah, so... Um, uh, though, so we're putting our faith today back in uh, the uh, into the Stephen Adams camp. Uh, that would be good if we could get that home because uh, he owes us one from uh, the other day. And uh, let's uh, just get the finishing touches on that, and that'll come out at $4.76. $4.76. So the Baltimore Ravens into the Toronto Raptors uh, into the Memphis Grizzly today, $4.96. Going to stay on the cricket theme uh, after 10 o'clock. We're going to talk to one of our world champions. I mean, she is a world champion, Susie Bates, who's had injury problems, but uh, fired up at the weekend for the Otago Sparks. And aren't they going well under the tutelage of Craig Cumming? So uh, we'll talk to Susie Bates very shortly. But in the meantime, it's news with Trudy. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 here on SENZ. Good morning to you. The Otago Sparks continue their strong run of results this summer with a first up win over the Central Hines in the T20 Super Smash. Leading the way for the Blue and Golds was their skipper and star player Susie Bates who cracked 64 of 52 balls in that eight-run victory. It was a pretty tight affair, but in the end, uh, they're having a heck of a season, the Sparks. They seem to have found out uh, how to win. Susie Bates, good morning to you. Good morning, Tony. How are you? I'm very good. I imagine you're smiling uh, down there south. It's been a tough <laughs> sort of uh, period into uh, this wonderful uh, thing you're going through now in terms of uh, the performance of the Otago Sparks. Uh, they've had a dream run of form. Yeah, we have. And um, yeah, the 50 over campaign started really well. And we knew how important it was to start the Super Smash well and thankfully the weather played part and we got a game in and yeah, like you said, it got really close but we held our nerve and I think just from winning games and the 50 over comp, we've got a lot of confidence so we knew we could get across the line and yeah, it's just exciting for the Sparks group who last season struggled a little bit at times. It's a good story this, uh, Susie, because I mean, you you know, to be, for want of a better term, uh, you know, you were the team that uh, for a long time that the other sides wanted to beat up on down there and, and all of a sudden uh, you've turned this around. So uh, apart from the confidence side of things, what, what has been the secret, do you think, in terms of um, the turnaround? Yeah, I know um, Craig coming um, has had a massive impact on the group. Um, it's been great to have him around the last couple of years and just the confidence and the tactical awareness he's given the players and I haven't been around all the time for the training but the girls just love the environment and I think just the knowledge that they're getting from the likes of Craig has really helped and 
yeah, then winning games and having the likes of Kate Ibrahim join us from Canterbury and Katie Martin in good form. It's all sort of coming together at the right time. Okay, let's look at uh, Susie Bates in particular because uh, there's so much uh, very important cricket coming up that we need Susie Bates to be fully fit. How um, How's the shoulder and how's um, your return to cricket coming along? Yeah, um, the last two innings I've managed to actually spend some time in the middle, but yeah, leading up to that, it has been a little bit of a battle. Um, the shoulder surgery is the longest I've ever been out of a game, and physically I came back pretty well and the shoulder was on track, so yeah, it's getting better every week in terms of the throwing. Um, but yeah, the batting, I felt really good in the net, felt good in the middle, but just have managed to get myself out, so it's nice. Um, so I've had two scores in a row and knowing what we've got coming up we've just got to keep churning out the runs and, and get as confident as I can leading into that World Cup So in terms of rehabilitation uh, would we be able to expect that you might be able to bowl again at some stage before the World Cup or are you just going to focus now on batting because of, of the injury? Yeah, look, it was the focus. Um, obviously, I get picked in the white fence, so batting primarily and the throwing was the key part, so I focused on that. I have actually um, got a little bit of off-spin going in the net um, to help my shoulder, but Bob Carter may have banned that because I managed to um, split my finger trying to field one and I had to get some stitches, so <laughs> that's been put on hold again, but... Um, yeah, I like to be involved in the game, and I've talked with Craig about it. I don't think I'll be running in off the long run, but if I can bowl a few tweeters, that might be handy for the Sparks, at least. It might be. It might well be. You just look after yourself. Now, listen, this World Cup is only four months away now. Uh, from, I mean, you've played in a number of, of world events, so for you it's um, not quite second nature, but you certainly know what's, uh, what's coming up. What about the, the level uh, of excitement around the, you know, the, the women's cricket fraternity? Can you sense it building? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long time coming. Obviously, been delayed because of COVID. It's all we've been working towards. It's been on the forefront of the white friend's mind. And we've had winter camps. We're having camps at the moment in between domestic schedule, all with the focus on that World Cup and None of us have ever played in a home World Cup and obviously the last time New Zealand did, they managed to win it. So everyone's really excited. We know it's going to be tough. Um, I think the beauty of a 50-over World Cup is it's round robin and you play everyone. So, you know, the best team makes it through to those semi-final stage and that's definitely the goal. And, yeah, just can't wait for that to come around, but plenty of cricket before that. It's quite a highly publicised uh, tour of England. Um, you know, th not every w result went your way, but ha what were the, th the things I think, uh, well, that you think w were the most gained from that experience over there, bearing in mind hadn't had the opportunity to play much cricket uh, at international level? Yeah, like the results obviously weren't ideal still, but I think as a group we'd had a tough summer um, and we weren't even competing with England at times so I think apart from the first and the last game of the tour we were in the fight every single game we just haven't quite um, figured out as a group how to win those close ones yet and um, for me I think the most exciting thing is we were probably a little bit light with our bowling attack missing the likes of Amelia Kerr and Rosemary Mann and our bowlers really stepped up and now we have so much depth in terms of selection for our bowling unit so there's some huge positives and for me personally just to get back to international cricket level and 
um, you know, after such a long time out, it just gave me the confidence that I was going to be able to do a job at the top of the order. Susie, do you think the side is going to feel a lot more pressure playing at home? Yeah, look, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, I think at the moment, and it's easy to say now, but I think there's just pure excitement and the way the game's going in New Zealand, the profile of the game improving. We have got used to a bit more media um, than there used to be when I first started. So I'm sure we'll talk mm. about it as a group. We might even um, you know, work alongside the Black Caps and how they dealt with it in 2015. And I know Sophie Devine had some conversations with um, the likes of Mike Sandal and how they managed that group through a Home World Cup and, and managed to, I guess, embrace the, the pressure and expectations of the country. And it's uh, a big one because uh, from the last time uh, we had it here, we won it, but that was uh, an age ago, and those ladies won't want me saying that because it was uh, a long time ago. <laughs> uh, having said that, you need players to be in form. Uh, Amelia Kerr, back in the bowling ranks and, and looking like the, the leg spinners are coming out nicely. Sophie Devine has had a good WBBL, so uh, key players for you. Uh, and I would imagine that is going to be the, the crux of the issue, so to speak, in, in terms of getting those key players all gelling together at the right time. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's just coming together all at the right time. And I know since Bob Carter's been involved, he hasn't really been able to pick his best team. We had Amy Sathwaite out being pregnant. Um, Sophie's taking a break from the ice. Amelia's taking a break. I was out injured. And we've had other players in and out of the group. And I really feel like um, by this World Cup, where he's going to have the ability to select the best of the players and having players in form coming off of summer. So I just hope that um, it's all just come together at the right time for Bob and Sophie and, and we'll be firing come March. WBBL final was uh, in front of... 15,500 people. Man, it would be nice to get the country to engage into that at World Cup time, wouldn't it? It would be awesome. Um, I watched 100 over in England and they had a massive crowd at Lords for their final. Um, like you said, that final at Perth, a huge crowd. And yeah, I think if we're honest, it's down to us and the, and the brand of cricket we play and how well we do. New Zealand loves winners. And you know, if we can get to that knockout stage, I'm sure we'll have... A lot of the country behind us, so we have to play good cricket. You certainly do, um, and but uh, the excitement levels are, are certainly there. And and you mentioned you just touched on it before um, the profile that the women's game is getting through the media, etc. Um, that's going to be huge. Uh, I mean, that, I, I I anticipate that that uh, around about January, February is is going to be huge as you look at that March fourth opener. Um, so. I think, you know, the country, there's a, there are positive signs, I think, for, for the country, and the media are a huge part of it, getting in behind this. Yeah, they are, and I've noticed a shift in the last sort of five years of, you know, more games on TV, then people start following their favourite players, and, you know, you can watch Sophie in New Zealand, you can watch her play in Australia, and everyone just gets to know the players and wants to come down to the ground and, and see how they go, so... Yeah, there's been a huge shift and I'm just really excited to see what New Zealand can do and I just think with COVID and everything that's gone on, if we can get families into the ground on the banks and, and watching some cricket, it's going to be a really cool time and just something that I've always looked forward to and yeah, it's going to probably be the highlight of a very long career for me. 
I've got to say, Susie, um, we're watching a test match in India at the moment where the conditions are tending to dictate the outcome of it. If it came to producing uh, good pitches, and bearing in mind we are playing at home, would there be a preference for the White Ferns in terms of pitches for this for this upcoming World Cup? Yeah, I think there's grounds that we tend to do well at in New Zealand, and that's the likes of um, Eden Park, the Basin Reserve, and Hagley Park, where there is a little bit more pace and bounce, and a little bit of swing and seam, I guess similar to the black caps um, with our boulders, if we can use those conditions, um, it does suit us. And when we have played at um, the likes of Bay Oval and often slower turning wickets, that hasn't suited us as much. Although we love um, staying in Mount Monganui <laughs> um, and I don't want us yeah. to stop playing there. There are, I think, those wickets with the likes of Leah Tahuhu, Sophie with a bit of extra pace and our swing bowlers, it does help us. You know, there's just a little bit of green in those wickets early on. So, uh, in terms of World Cup build-up as a unit, as a team, uh, what does your schedule look like after Christmas? Yeah, we've been really fortunate with um, the support from New Zealand Cricket in that we've been able to have two camps already in between domestic schedules. So we've been at Lincoln together as a group, training on grass wickets, having some internal matches just to... I guess, bridge that gap between domestic and international cricket and play against each other as a squad. Um, we've got a camp in Mount Monganui, um, not this week, but next week, just four days, and the same thing, I think we're playing against a, um, a boys' team. And then we've got another camp in Nelson um, in between Super Smash before we play against India in a um, five-match one-day series. I think there's one 2020 in that series, but... Yeah, that's kind of the plan. Spending as much time together as we can as a group to challenge each other in the nets and also just, I guess, stay connected with our plans and um, working together to what's going to be a pretty big tournament. Sounds exciting. It really does. I look forward to it. Um, we'll be working on it myself, so I'm really looking forward to you guys, you, you, you as a unit doing well, to be perfectly honest. It's always easier to commentate when your team's doing well, Susie, I promise you that. So uh, all the best. <laughs> All the best in your build-up, um, and particularly for you in, in terms of getting that shoulder right and getting back to full capacity. Loving to see the fact that you've got uh, some runs on the board. Uh, well done. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lily. Yeah, look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, we, we certainly do. Susie Bates there, uh, fantastic. She has been for New Zealand women's cricket over the years. An absolute Hall of Fame standout. She's just been so good, and it's nice to see. And you can hear it in her voice that the desire... Uh, you know, and um, you know the, the fact that it's just around the corner, you can hear how excited she is. So if that filters through the group uh, with that kind of experience, uh, I think that's a big step in the right direction. Uh, we've had uh, two or three uh, big texts come in. Uh, Smithy, I haven't seen a single threatening spinner for us since Mark Craig. Uh, for us, he was uh, actually in a short time there. He did get the ball to spin and was very successful, Mark Craig. We need more. Uh, who will keep throwing it up there if they go for a few. Uh, people that aren't scared to get hit, like the guys that get slapped at the bar and walk straight to the next table to try the same thing. <laughs> Work for warning. Uh, I'm talk I think you're talking about the, the, the cricket there or being slapped at the bar for warning. Not sure. All we have is a, a, um, a, a group that won't get out from under their rock, crabs that won't get out from un under their rock when they do take one charge down the wicket to send them back into their shell. So... Uh, very good, Harrison Marker. Uh, that is an extremely cryptic sort of way, uh, I think, to uh, explain our spin bowling situation. I like it. I really do. Uh, Smithy, I, I think 
it is an error to play an off spinner unless you also have a left arm quick to help scuff up the area around the right hander's off stump. And I just wonder, in a weird sort of a way, whether that was a contributing factor as to Neil Wagner not playing in this test match, whether they were worried about him running down the outside of the, the, the right hander's off stump uh, to expose areas where the likes of Ashwin could get stuck in with his accuracy. Very interesting. Uh, good point. Uh, hadn't totally thought of it that way, but it may have been a factor. Um, <clears throat> been a great test, Smithy. I feel the Indian spinners are more skillful. As for Wagner, who knows? That's from Paddy. Uh, bring Vittorian as a bowling coach, or even better, out of retirement. <laughs> Give him an offer he can't refuse. That's from somebody. Uh, also, Dale from Matamata. I watched pretty much all of this test match so far. Obviously, we'll need our experienced batters to step forward. I am, however, a wee bit concerned about Ross Taylor. He appears, uh, he appears disinterested and thus, I fear, unmotivated. Uh, the ball simply hasn't gone his way to date, so hasn't been involved. That feeling of contrib contributing to the game is missing. I hope I'm wrong, and he has a great second innings uh, leading to a win or, at worst, a draw. Well, I, I can tell you, I, I don't think Ross Taylor's lacking for motivation. Uh, and I, I don't think he's uh, suffering from disinterest either. Um, he, he just needs some cricket. He just needs some cricket. Um, he's, he looks like a guy that hasn't played cricket in the middle uh, since June, uh, earlier in the, uh, June in the World Test Championship. And the fact of the matter, Dale, is he hasn't. So he is a little bit uh, probing for his best. He's probing for his best. Hasn't uh, really come to fruition yet. But Ross Taylor is only uh, two or three cover drives or a lofted shot through the onside away. From finding form. He's that kind of player. 10.18 here on SCNZ. Uh, more texts later in the morning, but time for the panel. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Pat McKendry is on the panel with us this morning, as well as Jamie Wall. Good morning to you, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Jamie, first of all, uh, do you hold out any hope for the Black Caps and uh, what I class as a bit of a cricketing miracle this afternoon? Uh, yeah, good morning, guys. Um, Hart says yes. Head says hoping for a draw, uh, to be honest. Um, it's, it's looking like a very, very uphill battle. Um, and it's, it's, but, it, but I have to admit, it has been a fantastic test uh, to watch. It's been, you know, there's been heaps of... Uh, twists and turns, and and yesterday when we had them five down, you thought, oh, you know, there's, there's going to be a famous victory uh, in the making right here, and then to watch it get uh, you know, pulled out of the grass by uh, Iyer and um, uh, Ravi Ashwin and and uh, the keeper there, uh, I mean, you have to hand it to India. That was a really gritty uh, run of partnerships there to to, to rest, wrestle back control and put them in a position. Um, to win, and I think I think if nothing else, this has really shown how awesome Test cricket can be. Um, it's helped a lot by the fact that it's on a really handy viewing time for us here in New Zealand. But I, mm. I've, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed it a lot. But uh, I, I, I'm, if we win, it, it would be right up there with one of the great days of New Zealand sport. I would have to say. Well, uh, Pat McKendry, uh, we just lacked, uh, as uh, Jamie pointed out, at that five down mark, we just lacked. That, uh, that quality spinner to come in and finish things off. Yeah. Uh, and that really is a theme that uh, I think we have to focus on. Where are the spinners uh, in, the, in these crunch situations? Absolutely, guys. And you know, good morning to both of you and your listeners. Um, 
firstly, you have to say it's a high-quality test match. Um, both teams have played pretty well up to this point. Um, and, you know, from New Zealand's point of view, fantastic performances, in particular for bowlers, Sally and Jameson. But you're right, Smitty, we just don't have that elite spinner um, to, I suppose, compete at the highest level in India, and India have really shown the way there, haven't they? On a, on a pitch which has been a wee bit up and down, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of that on the, on the final day today. So um, a, a good performance from the Black Hats, but bit unlucky last night with Will Young and the, uh, the review mm. decision. Um, just sort of ran out of time there, didn't he? But, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's not looking great for the Black Hats. I, I think they'll probably lose it. But um, a good performance nonetheless so far. Pat, uh, interesting uh, to uh, see boxing news in Australia all of a sudden has uh, found themselves uh, another champion and what was regarded by some as a shock to the boxing world, uh, becoming the undisputed lightweight champion. Uh, how did you, uh, how do you view this performance and, and this fellow, George Cambosis Jr.? Yeah, um, well firstly, uh, the, the fight was quite reasonably remarkable uh, for the build-up, and there was genuine animos- animosity between the two, between Australian Cambosis and the American Teo uh, Lopez. Um, you know, I guess we sort of get a bit jaded by the by the histrionics and the build-up to boxing fights, but uh, this one clearly there was real animosity there, and it, and it carried on into the ring. And Cambosis, I think he was a six-to-one outsider, a real Aussie battler, I guess, in the true sense went in uh, to basically Lopez's uh, hometown, New York. Lopez is from Brooklyn and absolutely took the fight to him. Cambosis, uh, uh, the Aussie, knocked down Lopez in the, in the first round <clears throat> and then um, he sort of accrued points through the middle. He was knocked down himself in the 10th, but he bounced back and won the last two rounds and won it by decision. A pretty clear cut, I think, even though it was a, a split decision in the end to Cambosis. But a remarkable performance, just the skill shown by both fighters, but in particular Cambosis uh, and the grit and determination and resilience to come back uh, and really pull it out of the fire at the end was just, just incredible to watch, to be honest. Um, you know, it, not only was it an upset, it was a great fight. You know, people are saying it's the, it's the fight of the year. So, um, you know, that's, that probably says it all, really. And so he's got a big future ahead of him. Uh, he's only 28. Uh, and he's got some very big fights ahead, and um, presumably one or two of them will be held in Australia next year. So that's that's great for boxing fans from this part of the world. Is he uh, is he Lonigan managed? Who's in charge of of his uh, his dealings? <coughs> Lou, Lou DeBell, the um, the New Yorker, uh, is his promoter. Uh, he, uh, Lou DeBell picked mm-hmm. him up a few years ago when no one else really showed much interest. So took a chance, and it's well and truly paid off. Um, so yeah, he's he, he, he's a, he's a very good. Um, he, he's, I mean, he's great to watch. You know, he's he's got the he's got the chat and the self confidence. You know, he wouldn't be an Aussie if he didn't have that, I guess. So, yeah, uh, he's, he's going to be really fun to watch in the next few years. Okay, well, um, we'll take a short break for the news, uh, Jamie Wall, Pat McKendry. When we come back, a couple of uh, issues to talk around about uh, crowds at women's sport. Uh, and um, uh, one or two uh, high-profile rugby players saying they want to play for their countries of, of birth or of parents' origin all of a sudden now that the eligibility rule has freed up somewhat. Uh, it's news time with Trudy first. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 
Pat McKendry and Jamie Wall are our panellists this morning. And uh, Jamie, with uh, such a high-profile year in women's sport, uh, this uh, coming one uh, for World Cups, etc., uh, pressure's going to go on the New Zealand public, I think, in terms of uh, their support. We saw a crowd of 15,500 for the final of the Women's Big Bash League in Australia. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think the feeling will be there? Are New Zealanders going to have to really get on board here? Yeah, well, I, I think the issue is in, in the way that you've framed up that question there. There shouldn't really be any pressure on the public to, to have to do anything here um, because this is a product that's, that's being sold and marketed. And the pressure should be on the people that are doing that, not the people who are uh, expected to reach into their pockets uh, for this. Uh, you know, and this is, the, this is, I think, one of the main reasons why uh, people feel the way they do about high-profile women's sport is because you're kind of made to feel as though you have to uh, enjoy it and you have to support it. And, and when, you're, when you're asking people to, to pay money uh, uh, to engage in something, um, you, you kind of don't really have that right. Um, you know, I mean, I firmly believe that, you know, it's worth uh, paying for and, and, and watching and supporting, but um, I, I don't feel as though these uh, competitions have any have any right to expect people that, that expect people will just show up uh, out of some sort mm. of moral obligation to do so. It needs to be marketed and advertised and people given reasons to go. And if you're talking about women's sport, you're talking about attracting families and children along, and it needs to be an atmosphere that's conducive to that. I see the cricket, uh, Women's Cricket World Cup has taken a really, really positive step and um, introduced um, ch- free childcare facilities at, their, at, the, at the games uh, that are being played, uh, which, is, mm. which, is a, which is a really, really good step um, to do. Mm. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's that sort of outside-the-box thinking, which is like you can't just expect people to show up pay money, sit there, watch a sports game, go home, and then expect them to come back. You need to give them other reasons. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a whole range of things that need to be looked at around game day experience. And to be fair, I think cricket uh, does that pretty well. They do have, obviously, the advantage of it being generally, you know, summer weather and nice days uh, and lots of space for them to be able to do that sort of thing. But if we're talking about the Rugby World Cup next year, just look at the crowds that were showing up to watch those Blackburns uh, versus England and France uh, uh, test matches over the last um, tour. And that is a sign of more that rugby itself over there is well supported and not just women's rugby. You know, like people just look at the weekend and think, yes, I'm going to go watch rugby. It doesn't matter which, uh, whether it's men or women. And I think that's the sort of attitude that needs to be taken here. It's, it's not just a women's sport thing in New Zealand. It's just it's just a sport attendance thing in general because right now there's only one team that can fill up the stadium, and that's the All Blacks. And they didn't even do that the last mm. time they played in New Zealand. Yeah, it's an interesting one for me as well, Pat, because um, historically we like winners. Um, we like to go and spend our money um, with a 80-90% chance that we're going to come out on top, and we can with the All Blacks. Uh, but with both these two women's teams, they're going to head into these world events far from the favourites. Um, and at the moment, the rugby team would be, at best, third favourites. Cricket team, probably third or fourth favourites. So 
Uh, there's something in common there. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and Jamie made some good points there uh, around the, the, the marketing of women's sport. I think with rugby, um, women's rugby has been seen uh, as almost been an afterthought. It's been begrudgingly sort of welcomed into the fold, as it were. Um, and I think that's you know, punters aren't silly when you know when when money money's at stake and they have to buy tickets. They know that they could provide. And so if it's sort of treated as a second-class sport, then they're less inclined to, uh, to to want to pay to attend. And I think that, that has been an issue. Um, but but uh, you are right, Smithy, around uh, the Kiwi public liking and backing winners. I, I, I would have thought that, you know, the New Zealand women's sevens team would probably attract um, a, a reasonable crowd if they, if they perhaps played a bit more at home. Um, so it, it's difficult. Um, certainly it's, it, it, it's difficult. It's... It's probably a bit disappointing, to be honest, um, but that's the way it is. And overall, as Jamie mentioned, I think um, attendances on the New Zealand sporting public, uh, um, their habits in terms of uh, match attendance is changing, um, and, and people need a, a pretty good reason to attend, um, as we saw this year when you know the All Blacks couldn't sell out Eden Park for that second weekend. So, yeah, definitely a work in progress, and it's going to be very interesting in terms of the the, uh, the cricket and, and rugby world cup next year. Jamie, uh, big news in rugby last week, of course, was the uh, um, the changing of the eligibility rule for uh, players who uh, perhaps later in their careers wanted to revert back to playing for their country of birth or that of their parents or grandparents, etc. Um, I'd be interested to know what, how New Zealand voted in that. We'll never know, probably, but. Um, uh, are we seeing, um, when you see people like Adi Savia coming out and saying, look, gee, I'd love to play for Manu Samoa, I really would. Uh, is there a danger here that we might um, see a little bit of an exodus or you're not worried about that, the All Blacks will still remain uh, the precedence for young Pacific Island players in particular in this country? Oh, well, well I, I'd say so. I, I think for now that, that the, the All Blacks probably don't have any issues with anyone just deciding to change their mind. Um, in fact, I, I think it's probably more the opposite, that um, they think that, um, uh, you know, you can you can do both now, so why not go for that all-black jersey early on? Um, the thing that, that is a bit concerning, and you did mention, Artie, uh, just before, that, you know, this, this news came out, and it was a, a pretty, pretty big surprise. I, I, I certainly wasn't expecting Lord Rugby to go down this route um, because of the amount of knock-on effects it's going to have um, around the world, and we see we, we're very much seeing it through the through a lens of the positive aspects it's going to have for the likes of Fiji and Samoa and Tonga. But there's so many other countries in the world that are, that this is that this is going to affect um, that we're, we'll probably find out about in the, uh, you know over the northern hemisphere summer. I mean, if you think about like internally in the UK. Uh, you know how many more players Scotland can potentially get their hands on now, as if they couldn't do that already. Um, you know how many guys in the UK have dual uh, sort of nationality allegiance with with England, Scotland, and Wales and Ireland. Like it's massive. Um, I, I think um, though that you know the response was pretty predictable. You know there's a lot of guys out there who, unsurprisingly, said you know yeah I'm, I'm keen to play for Samoa and. Uh, and Tonga and, and you know the likes of Lima Lima Sofawanga and Nani Lamapi and, and so forth. Like that, that was that was predictable. But it's another thing I think for Adi Savia to be 
saying it. I mean, this guy is the captain of the All uh, was the captain of the All Blacks this year, and is very much a senior player and a guy who is seen as uh, you know a very long term asset um, to that team. Um, the sort of guy who they'd hopefully be projecting to play his whole career um, in in New Zealand and you know mm. well into his into his thirties. And so for him to turn around and say like, hey, I want to play for another country. And yes, it is the country of his, of his birth. And I'm not like 100% surprised that he would think that. But for him to be able to say that publicly, like that's really interesting considering how guarded the All Blacks are about saying anything potentially um, controversial. They usually did that anything like this. So, I mean, that, that to me was the biggest surprise out of all of them. Yeah, interesting. Pat, what did you make of that? Yeah, I, I, you ask if perhaps the RAP is a wee bit nervous. Um, I think they've supported this uh, this law change, so I think they're pretty positive overall around it. But obviously, Adi is a very high-profile guy and someone uh, that uh, has been one of the best performers for the All Blacks for the last couple of years, and someone really who I think New Zealand rugby want to build a team around, don't they? So it's it is interesting. Um, you get the sense that um, Artie doesn't say things unless he really means them. And uh, if he says he wants to play for Manu Samoa, I, I would have thought he wouldn't want to do it when he's a, a tired and broken old man either. I think he probably wants to, would like to sort of give them uh, some of his best. So it's going to come down to a matter of timing, uh, really, isn't it? And there's still a stand-down, obviously, a stand-down period. I think it's three years. So it's it's not going to happen anytime soon, but Clearly, it is another option for guys. Um, once they leave the All Blacks, presumably they'll, you know, do the usual money-making thing in the Northern Hemisphere and then become available for for the islands potentially. It's really going to come down to a matter of timing. But I guess Jamie's right. It is relatively controversial for a high-profile All Black to come out and be so strong on this line when normally they they, they do pretty much everything to avoid the headlines. It's an interesting dynamic. It is an interesting dynamic. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this morning and uh, that input into, into the show uh, on a various, uh, very number of, uh, of issues as well. Uh, and we'll watch this space um, in terms of uh, those Pacific Island players uh, looking to uh, jump ship, I guess effectively jump ship, but I do concur with the idea that it gives them three opportunities now really uh, to make their way in New Zealand and to become an All Black, part one. Uh, part two... Uh, to make the big bucks in the places like Japan and the UK and France, etc. Part three, to tail end your, your whole career uh, with a season or two, particularly around World Cup year, uh, for your country of origin as such or that of your parents or grandparents. So it just adds another uh, issue to keep players in the game a little bit longer. don't think that's a bad thing, particularly with the classy ones. Uh, yeah, 10.43 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll have uh, time for some text. Uh, and also, uh, we'll talk to Louis Herman Watt and go to the TAB on this uh, Monday with an opportunity to make some, some hay. The voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.48 here. A lot of great texts coming in. Mike G says, Darian, can someone, someone, please explain to me why, including your good self, that it seems that most people and commentators would rather see or have any other seamer than Tim Southey. He seems to cough a lot of criticism over the last five years or so on radio stations such as this, 
but I must be uh, I must be watching something different on the TV than they do. In my mind, I thought Tim was outstanding in this test, has proved to be outstanding over the last few years, if not consistently our best. In that 3-0 smashing in Australia, he was our best bowler but still cop flack. So, Smithy, please explain. Uh, yes, Mike Joe, I'll give it a go. Uh, Tim Southey actually uh, played in the first two tests in Australia and then, was, remember, was left out controversially uh, in that Sydney test match. Uh, he wasn't even part of the thinking there from... Uh, from the coach Gary Stead and uh, the standing captain in that test for Tom Latham from memory. So uh, he wasn't even a, a factor uh, in that particular test match. That, I believe, was a genuine mistake. I, I really do. Uh, in terms of going into the series, well, uh, I think it was always a toss-up uh, between whether Tim Southey would play or Neil Wagner. The reason why, because they could only really afford to play two seamers they thought going into it. Um, they might rethink that now because uh, of the fact that these two guys have uh, literally bowled their hearts out and given us a, an outside opportunity to win but kept us in the game as long as we possibly have. Uh, so I, I totally agree with you. Um, Tim Southey, I remember in my days commentating on telly, Tim Southey, we looked at Tim Southey a lot. Um, and, uh, I mean, his record is undeniable. You're right, Mike. And perhaps... Uh, we looked at him as being the lesser of the two when it came to Bolt and Southey. We always thought, it, people thought that uh, Trent Bolt was more threatening. But uh, you're right. Uh, uh, you're absolutely right. And um, uh, I, I don't have an, uh, a huge answer for you in that respect, uh, other than the fact that we we should uh, perhaps value his services a lot more. And I think uh, when all is said and done, he will be valued that way. Uh, he's a very clever bowler, very, very clever bowler, Tim Southey. Um, and so maybe, you may maybe have hidden something there, Mike, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Pedro says, is East Sodi not worth another go at test level? More experience now, and an attacking leggy who gives the ball a rip. Well, he turns it, he does turn it, uh, he tends to lose it a wee bit, um, and then when you, he does lose it a wee bit, you've got to grab him, get him out of it, and get him back in again. So not the ideal scenario. Uh, but, you know, I think we've got to have a wrist spinner over there. I really do. Uh, wrist spinner who's a little bit uh, ragged may be worth more than an off spinner who's just going to be putting it there, putting it there, putting it in the air, bowling for dots instead of Ws. So I, 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 I think that that's a point as well. Uh, uh, and that's from, uh, that's from Chase. How, many, how come uh, we can develop uh, Amelia Kerr, who's wonderful, a uh, women's leg spinner, of course, but no young male leg spinners? Great question again, Chase. Great question again, and we go back to Deepak Patel uh, saying anyone with any sort of, uh, I won't say regularity, but any point of difference, which looks unusual, we tend to run away from rather than encourage in this country. Uh, and spin bowlers take a long, long time to get it right and to, get, to mature into it. So you have to spot that talent early if you want to use it early um, and have the confidence to do that. And that was... Uh, one of the natures of Jared's text that, that came in as well, along the same lines of listening to Dipak and saying different is not, uh, is, is not the, you know, being different is not uh, a liability. Uh, sometimes it can be a, a bit of an asset. So thanks for all those uh, texts. Keep them coming in. More opportunities after 11 o'clock. In the meantime, uh, we shall come back with Louis Herman Watt and we'll try and make you some money this afternoon through the TAB. Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Louis, 
Herman Watt joins us this morning. I'm not sure if you've got a gold watch on your wrist at the moment, uh, Louis, but you wouldn't mind having one in your stable. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very, very well done, Smithy. Um, yeah, no, gee, he was great. Good ride by Danielle Johnson. No panic as well. Just went back to the inside. Huge run. Cliff Goss, what a legend. You should get him on your show. We spoke to him on the mail run, Smithy. You should get Cliff Goss on your show at some stage because you would bring some gold out of him. This is a guy who's 90. He's been to Macau. He's trained around the world. And the way he came across Gold Watch is kind of a, an afterthought at Trelawney Stud. His daughter, Cherry Taylor, who's with, who and Brent run and own Trelawney Stud, it's just a fantastic racing story and it was fantastic uh, the tie-in of course they owned Paranui Bay who was just sensational in the weekend so there you go a bit of a success for the uh, Taylor family in the weekend and Cliff Goss as well Smithy plenty of good stuff out there yeah great stuff over the weekend uh, Louis I've, uh, unfortunately I've cut your time short today so I, I was going to give you an opportunity to tell me how much hay you'd made off Paranui Bay but uh, uh, I'll just leave that I'll leave that for future reference. I know you're quite happy about the whole deal. Uh, Paul Mawati is over there at the TAB. Paul Mawati, it's NFL Monday. Yeah, it certainly is, Smitty. Uh, we've got a uh, American football bonus back promotion on this afternoon's game between the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and for you Greyhound punters, there's a $10,000 guaranteed terminating pick six at the Addington Greyhounds today. Uh, but I, I want to point you back to the SENZ showdown, uh, Smitty, because this will be the last week uh, for this year, for the uh, showdown. You are currently mm. in the lead, uh, and you've got a you've got a nice little lead there as well. Uh, if you were to finish on top after next week, uh, after this weekend, uh, then we'll give you a five hundred dollar bonus bet to put on a tip of your choice the following week, uh, and one lucky punter. Uh, we'll get the chance to take home that cash if indeed it is successful. But at the moment, you're in the lead. Um, the drive show with Beaver are still a chance of picking up a win this week. They just need the Black Caps to win or a draw in the first test for them to pick up another $692. So um, you'll still be in the lead whether they win this week or not, Smitty. But This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, it's 11.02 here on SENZ, a uh, good deal earlier than that, back uh, in Australia where we find uh, Andrew Voss is uh, waiting for us as he always is at this time and we're grateful of that. And uh, Vossi, we have got some uh, NRL stuff to get our teeth into this morning as well. Uh, it appears that uh, Brandon Smith uh, has made some really nice comments about uh, possibly the Roosters after this world tour he did. Um, but it's uh, a bit disrespectful for to the storm, I would imagine. Bearing in mind, it's he's going to be there for another year. Uh, good morning, Smithy. Look, I have to go on the attack straight on this one. I can't get this to call it a scene. It's a disgrace. I really do. I mean, I, I put my cards on the table. Brandon Smith, great player, like great player. Love watching him play. Love his personality. He's good fun and all those things. But I don't know what planet he lives on. I mean, he's an employee of Melbourne. Um, he's already had the uh, white powder scandal in this off-season where he's had the you know, issue an apology to club, fans, coach, sponsors, blah, 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 blah. Well, he's got to come out and do the same today, but what, what will it mean? It, it, the glowing praise of the Roosters was just extraordinary. I mean, it's just, he's basically said they're better than my club. I want to win a premiership for that club. I mean, 
This is rubbish. You you are being paid by the Melbourne Storm this week, Brandon, next week, the week after that, all the way till at least October 31 next year. That's who you that's who you serve and that's who you praise. You know, you can respect opponents, but gee, I think it's kicking the sand in the face again of club, sponsors, fans, coach. I can't believe that he said that. He must have he must have thought the podcast is being heard by no one. That, that no one is listening, and I can say whatever I like, but I think it's a disgrace. I think it is so disrespectful to the Melbourne club. Uh, well, you know, we've had a very similar scenario to this uh, over the last day or so with uh, Adi Savia, who captained the All Blacks this year. As, as start, part of our starting 15, every time we pick a 15, Adi Savia is an automatic choice. Uh, coming out and saying he'd really, really like now to play for Manu Samoa. I mean, it's pretty similar in that regard. Yeah, look, I'll tell you another angle to this, Smithy. I reckon, and you won't hear it publicly, I reckon the Roosters are filthy, absolutely filthy, because they actually, and Brandon said in the interview that they went to great lengths to keep this a secret and going back all the legal. That's right, to keep it a secret. Then for him to reveal every, uh, blow by blow, what Trent Robinson fed mm. me, the, the wine, the, you know, we're out on the golf course, we're delighted. The Roosters don't want the way they do business being broadcast in such a fashion. They don't want it broadcast anytime, anywhere. What the hell was Brandon Smith thinking when he said all this? It's, it's one thing to be a personality, but there's time and place and things you can think but you just don't say. Brandon Smith, I'll go as far as he's wrong both clubs. So he's wrong Melbourne, he's going to employee. But letting all this detail out about the Roosters, a club that, you know, he's more than likely going to join, not until November next year, was wrong too in doing that. Uh, you know, they, they didn't want their business being aired in such a way. Yeah, no, that's, that is. It's crazy stuff indeed. Fortunately, there's been some relatively interesting other decisions for you to talk about, and the Dolphins announced their first signing in uh, Felici Calfusi. Calfusi. Yeah, well, look, you're getting a state of origin player, you're getting an international, but you are, you know, this is a classic case, you are getting him at the end of his career rather than, you know, your sight. Will will he be the player he is now or in the last couple of seasons in, what is it, let's work it out, 2025? Yes, it's great to get origin representatives on board. And they, you know, they've got to start somewhere. They've got to sign and he'll be handy player. But, yes, it is a, a three-year commitment. And, and he'll be well into his 30s by the time that finishes. So let's hope it is the tip of the Dolphins' perspective. It's the tip of the iceberg, and you've got to start signing players. But um, he can't be their biggest name, their signing. Uh, you know, there, there has to be more to it, and there has to be some younger players that are going to take this club forward. They can't just be um, you know, a whole mismatch of players thrown together to get a, a, a side on the field in 2023. There, there does have to be a side that also takes them forward into their, their first five seasons, really, three or four, five seasons. Um, so, and, and Wayne Bennett will achieve that, but it, it hasn't exactly been a flying start. I really thought the Dolphins would have a greater um, signing presence, and, and they've apparently spoken to quite a few, but Kafusi's the first to, uh, to come on board. But um, if I'm, if I'm you know, hopping on their bandwagon, I want there to be a lot more and quickly. Yeah, is he the kind of player that's going to suggest to other players, gosh, I've got to get there too? 
Well, well, you know, with the greatest respect, no. But it, but but you are signing a quality player. You you know, out of the Melbourne mm. system, Origin and and you know, international. But again, it is the age. You're not signing. Well, okay, I'll use it. You're not signing Brandon Smith, are you? Brandon Smith would be seen as a oh great, you know, I'd sign him for five six years, um, and hope that mm. he's you know, you know, a leader at the club, become one of the you know superstar players of the club. I don't think police, with the greatest of respect fits that bill. You know, he's not he's right. not gonna drive memberships, you know, he's not the, the, the poster boy for the but still a valuable player, a player that you need and comes from a very good you know you know, he can be very proud of what he's achieved in the game. So it's a good signing, but it's not the you know, the absolutely stop you in your track signing. Okay, right, let's look at the Tigers scenario now with uh seventy one year old Tim Sheens back on deck. <laughs> yeah, um and, and as many to get Benji Marshall back into the fold. Look, I'm happy for the Tigers that there's some some positivity around them. Um, in that, and, and the signing of Papa Lee was was fantastic for them. But then, you know, you don't get time to really celebrate it too long. And then they had a little bit of drama around Luciano Lealua. We're being told that he'll stay there next year, and then he joins the Cowboys the year after. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how the the Sheens Maguire relationship does work. Um, I don't think Michael Maguire would think, you know, he's not, again, another one that won't say it publicly, but I don't think he needs anyone to hold his hand or tell him how to run a, you know, the football operations of the club and the team, um, a premiership winner in both sides of the world. But um, I, it can, I think there'll be more positives than negatives about having Tim Sheens around the place. And, uh, you know, I think Benji will talk up. You know, Benji's a good enough reference for mine. He, he waxes lyrical about what, Tim Sheens did for his career. Yes, it's a number of years on. In fact, it's 16 years on since they won the premiership under Tim Sheens. But you don't lose it. I think he's got, you know, a, a great rugby league brain, Tim Sheens, and he'll, he'll have to be a positive influence. I don't think he'll be a negative influence on the team. The Eels uh, look as if they need to sign some players for 2023 because at this stage they're, they're tending to be losing them hand over fist in various directions. Yeah, in the Australian press smithy on the weekend, if our listeners weren't aware, um, Brad Arthur was quoted as saying we've never been in a better place, which is a very defiant comment to make. But, you know, you're looking at it, oh, come on. <laughs> we've got three of our starting pack next year have already gone, you know, already signed elsewhere for the following season. We, we could lose Junior Paulo in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, anyway, they're, they're just working from the coach, trying to talk it up as best he can. Well, I'll tell you, there's a little flow on from the Brandon Smith effect. How would... Sam Verrills at the Roosters be thinking at the moment. You know, what would he be thinking if they're you know, courting Brandon Smith and signing him? Now, Sam is signed up until the end of 2024, a grand final winning hooker. Gee, if I'm the Parramatta Eels, legally you can't, but you're, you're sort of putting out some messages there. Oh, I wonder if, he, if he'd be interested to leave. Would he be let go? You know, you, you ring the Roosters and say, can we negotiate with Sam? Can we talk to him? Because if you're signing Brandon Smith, and Brandon wants to play hooker, well, where does that leave the incumbent at the Roosters? I don't think he wants to be, you know, two years down the track, uh, you know, go back to being a 30 or 40 minute, 40 minute player. He wants to be an 80 minute player on the field. So it could be a, that, that could be the domino effect of um, Brandon Smith coming to the Roosters. Let's get away from uh, league for a minute or two if we, we can, Vossi, because there's plenty of other stuff going on uh, in your neck of the woods, including a new world champion boxer and George. Cambosis Jr. Oh, yeah, a great story. Look, an inspiration to everyone, and, and the listeners can apply too. And I, 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 I describe this exactly as it was. He was the fat kid. 
He was a fat kid that got bullied at school. That, that is the, the sum of how he got into boxing. His dad saw that. He was playing for a club down in the Cronulla Sutherland Shire, the, the Gymea Gorillas Junior Club. Um, and his dad thought at 11 years of age, you've been bullied. This will help his fitness, you know, help his self-esteem. Got him into, book, into boxing as an 11-year-old. And look at this now. At, at 28, he's a world champion, a holder of four belts. He's calling himself the emperor. He's even bigger than the king, he says. He's got all four belts. Have a look at him on the greatest boxer the country's ever produced. Well, that's him shouting from the rooftops. He can be proud of what he's achieved. But I, I just think that's the inspiring element of the story. The kid that was bullied... He was bullied because he was overweight. And, you know, podgy kid. Dad gets him into boxing, some good direction, some, some good positive influence. The bloke's now a world champion. All those that bullied him all those years back, how are they feeling today? Um, he has mm. really let his club student talk. It was a great fight, too. It was just a fantastic fight. Um, no, a, a, a huge win. And, and he's a massive story here in Australia today. Back page of the paper. That's fantastic. Uh, he might have even taken Pat Cummins and Steve Smith uh, or, and uh, Tim Payne off the back page of the paper. That's uh, how big it is. How has that, um, that combo gone down in terms of that, that announcement? Uh, has that been well received uh, amongst the well, media and think, the Australian public as such? Yeah. Well, Smithy, I've got to say, having been on air on SEN in, in Sydney now for, for over a year, any time that Steve Smith's name has come up for a discussion about possible captain, I will tell you honestly that the... The opinion is probably leaned towards no, not getting another opportunity. This is the middle ground. It's the vice captaincy. I don't know how people get their head around. I mean, Pat Cummins could go down. I touch wood, it doesn't happen. But he could have a hamstring injury, you know, before the first test and be out for three. It could be out for all summer. Does that mean Steve Smith is mm. captain? But it seems to me that the majority is happy that Steve Smith is vice captain, not captain. <laughs> but, you know, he's not just token. He, he might have to leave. I'm happy for Steve Smith. I, you know, I... If the penalty is what it was, you know, then, then, he, then he has served his time. He has served his time and, and can come back. Um, so he's part of that leadership team. As for Cummins, you know, Smithy, I don't know how much you've had to do with him, but he's just such an impressive uh, young man, an impressive cricketer um, on and off the field. Um, he, he really is someone to be inspired by. George Combosis Jr., different sort of story, but Cummins has had his own battles with injury when he first came into the test side. You know, for a few summers there, we just didn't, see or hear of him, um, but now he's back as one of the best cricketers in the world, and now he's captain of his country. Um, I, I think um, I think he'll do the job. He's, he's that sort of person. I think he could take on any challenge thrown at him, and I think he'll be a, an outstanding captain for Australia. Well, I can give you three names, pretty well-known names in Australia, that are absolutely anti, anti-Steve Smith. Uh, Shane Warne, quite openly, uh, has said, no, he can't be captain of, of Australia ever again. Uh, Kim Hughes, yep. I went to a luncheon in, in Perth where Kim Hughes said, I'm disgusted by the fact that we even think about picking this guy again, let alone making him captain again. Um, and Ian Chappell recently, a cheat is always a cheat. So that's pretty tall timber there. Yeah, well, Wardy's point was that, look, you don't even consider Dave Warner. <clears throat> then how can you consider Steve Smith? So, you know, Warner's in, um, you know, in the bad books for all time. He'll never even get a look into it, despite his experience in, uh, you know, across all three forms of the game. Um, and uh, look, the other player, we barely hear him. He's still batting around in the domestic ring. You can follow his progress, and he's still making runs. Cameron Bancroft, but he doesn't get a mention anywhere. You know, it was mm. said that Marcus Harris was the logical, you know, gets the chance. Well, Marcus Harris not setting the world on fire and 
Now, Cameron Bancroft does not get a mention anywhere, so he's just a forgotten man. So, yeah, I, I can appreciate that point. But I'm saying for those who actually handed down the punishment, then the punishment yeah. was served. You know, the, 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 the penalty was served. If you were going to ban him for life, he had to ban him for life at the time. You can't retrial him again. Um, he, he has served his time, and now he's back in that leadership group. I mean, he's in the team. If he doesn't have the letters next to his name, he's still a leader out on the field. You'd be mad. Cummins would be mad not to go to Steve Smith or, or Dave Warner, for that mm. matter, when they're talking about the tactics and field placement. Oh, of course, you know, a leadership group is exactly that. You, you, you draw on the experience. That's good captaincy, older thought. You know, to, to leave your ears open and your eyes open to ideas from experienced players in your team. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely dead right. And they will. And he'll be very prominent. Don't you worry about it. And I'll tell you what, the uh, the Fox cameras or whoever, the seven cameras, they'll be in on Steve Smith. They might even have a dedicated camera uh, just to his input into where this is going when they're on the park collectively. So uh, don't worry yeah. about that, uh, Vossi. Just just finally, um, my old mate, uh, great crowd at the WBBL final, 15,500. Really warming to this competition from uh, the girls' point of view. Oh, let me tell you, for women's sport in this country, the uh, weekend was a great triumph. Um, we had the Matildas playing, our, our women's football team playing the USA in Sydney. Biggest ever crowd, 36,000 people went along to watch. That wasn't the result. They had four USA winning 3-0, mm. and they'll play again tomorrow night. But, um, yeah, the WBBL, it's been a bit tough this, this, this season because of um, COVID and travel restrictions and they've been but like the travelling Wilburys. To be honest, if you went out and surveyed people, where are these two teams playing today? No one would really be sure. They've played up in Mackay, they've played the states all over the place. Um, but in the final, um, Perth Scorchers getting the um, getting the, the chocolates uh, against a South Australian side, the Adelaide Strikers that had come good late in the season. Um, so no, WBBL very much on the landscape and now we've got the BBL uh, starting this weekend. Uh, plenty of cricket to keep us entertained, that's for sure. Are you are you guys on uh, uh, on watch or on on a knife's edge over this new variant of COVID that uh, may be about to unleash around the world? Has there been oh, any sort of talk about it? Then? Well, yeah, yeah, we we had a lot of callers this morning about it, um, and and everyone thinking what a what a massive overreaction this is. I mean, I thought the idea is we were going yes, we've we've all got our heads around we're going to live with this, but if we're going to react in this fashion and closing of borders and all of that, I mean. Over Israel have <laughs> just shut their, their airport. There's no, travel, no one coming into the country. Um, the latest news I can give you right now, Smithy, is that of the uh, passengers that flew into Sydney from African countries linked to this variant, we believe there may be as many as three positive cases in Sydney now um, doing their uh, quarantining. But well, well, they're going to review what rules we have in that regard. Um, meeting of uh, the National Cabinet coming up. We had international students here to come back into the country on Wednesday. Um, look, they're, they're basically being told they're in a holding pattern. They're meeting about that as well. So it's great disruption. Um, it feels like saying, you know what, different day. Uh, but, but, gee, we thought things were going to be different once we got to these high vaccination rates and events of the weekend, perhaps not. Well, here we go again. Uh, there's the fear over here as well. Vossi, thank you very much. Very much for your, your time and your input this morning. Um, uh, very interesting. Thank you, mate. Good on you, Smithy. Have a great week. Yeah, cheers. Same to you on your show. Uh, yeah, Andrew Voss there, folks. It's uh, 11.19 here on SCNZ. We've still got the opportunity to read out your texts uh, on double eight double three. if you want to call us, 0800 150 
uh, 811 is the number. And, of course, uh, we've got a stump smithy coming up in around 10 minutes' time. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.25 and Goose has come in and says, Smithy, that's a bit harsh from Vossie. I've heard the podcast with Brandon Smith. He also talks up the storm big time. It's refreshing to hear uh, someone speak honestly and freely rather than get all the rubbish and speculation leaked from the media. He is 100% allowed to negotiate at this point. Maybe it's the NRL that has it wrong that allows players to negotiate a deal way before they are off, off contract. And maybe it's just me, John. I, 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 do I feel that this is uh, it's bigger this time around? Um, maybe it's because of the, the Dolphins and a new franchise coming in. But I, 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 do we have this every year, the same kind of speculation, the same talk about NRL sides and, and who's going where and who's not? It just seems to me this year's bigger. Yeah, I think it is bigger this year because more and more fans are getting used to it. Uh, so I think that's why Smithy and clubs are getting used to it. So they know they have to get their hooks into players 18 months in advance pretty much, 15 months in advance of a new season, and it's becoming more public. Mm. Junos are getting more into it, so they know Brandon Smith's on the market. They're listening to his little podcasts, and they grab those little bits out and um, chuck them into headlines, and they don't read well with the current club when you're saying you want to win a premiership with another one, and they don't read well with fans. So... I can see both sides of the story. As a former Juno, you want to hear sports people saying what they think at all times, but as yeah, as Vossi pointed out, um, it's not a great thing or disgraceful, I think he used the word, Smithy, that disgraceful word, uh, talking like that about the Roosters and saying he wants to win a premiership with them when he hasn't signed for them yet and he's already got someone paying their wages. So interesting topic. Yeah, NRL always giving. And I think Brandon Smith's got that tag too, hasn't he? You know, that bad behaviour, that bad boy tag, and everyone expects after what happened with him um, and, and, you know, the, this incident over the white powder as such or the white substance, everyone thinks at least he'll be treading a nice, fine, clean line from here and not trying to upset anyone. Yeah, tow the company line. Yeah, do some. Yeah, tow some other lines rather than the one he was. Uh, which, of course, could have been anything. So to speak. Smithy, it could have been anything. Yeah. So let's not jump to conclusions. Oh. Absolutely right. Uh, okay, let's move to another subject and not jump to conclusions. Hi, Smithy. Is there any chance you could interview Shane Warne? Well, we'll work on that. Not easily accessible, but uh, and I'm pretty well. So, uh, And he was on, I think, with the Breakfast Guys not long ago. So we shall try and get Shane Warne. Uh, he is not happy that Steve Smith is back as vice-captain of Aussie. No, he's not. And his view on our spinners. And it uh, uh, would be interesting also, Carl, that's a hell of a suggestion. So uh, on, uh, on that... We shall try and get to Shane Warne, particularly at, at the end of the second test match, I think, when we can take a decent long look uh, at our spinners over those two tests. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, we need some questions answered there. Clive has come in and said, Hi, Smith, is Simon Dool going to be commentating on Sins this summer? Not sure what Dooley's doing. I mean, he is just globetrotting the world at the moment. I think he bases himself uh, in the Dubai area, and that maybe gives him access uh, quite quickly to all the crickets going on in the subcontinent as such. Uh, but he's popping up everywhere you can think of. Is he thinking now that our uh, MIQ restrictions are at this point, I say with um, my fingers crossed, uh, a lot more uh, relaxed, maybe he will take the opportunity to come back home and do some work over summer? Not sure. Haven't heard from Dooley. Um, and, of course, uh, why Spark Television didn't pick him up has got me absolutely bluffed as their lead commentator. Uh, I just I don't understand that. But, however... Uh, that's by the by, and Dooley will be 
uh, doing really well, and he's uh, highly respected around the world. I can promise you that. Very, very highly respected. Uh, as we head towards um, the Stump Smithy time, here's another one to look at from Craig. Uh, hi, Smithy. We need a short-term solution this tour and a long-term solution regarding our spinners. Short-term for the next test, if they want three spinners, to bring in Glenn Phillips in for, in for Ross or Henry and bring Wags in for Somerville. I would have think uh, I'd be bringing uh, Glenn Phillips in for um, maybe Will Somerville um, or perhaps uh, Richard Ravindra, Ratchin Ravindra, who's only just played the one test. See how many runs he gets this afternoon. That might govern that, but we're not doing without uh, Ross Taylor or Henry Nichols for the sake of Glenn Phillips. I can promise you that, Craig. Um, that gives, get wag, gives Wags in the team as well. Still gives Kane three spinners. I don't think... They will. It's just an option. Long term, we need to build a spin bowling training area in the driest place in New Zealand, uh, maybe in Northland or inland Canterbury, and build a dry, dry, dusty pitch and create a spin bowling mecca for young spinners to learn and young batters to practice. Uh, I don't think that's a stupid idea at all. We've got to simulate those conditions somehow. Uh, it's coming up to 11.30 here on SENZ. Uh, still more chances after 11.30 too to read out some more text. But in the meantime, 0800 150 811 is the number. And uh, join us now and try and stump Smithy. Get 50 bucks to start off your week from the TAB. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go again, getting closer to Christmas and still giving away presents every day at 11.30 via a quiz. You can get 50 bucks uh, from the TAB and you can get some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And we head to Turbo Town, Palmerston North. G'day, Joe. Yeah, morning, fellas. How are we? Pretty good, mate. Is Hope springing eternal with you and the Black Caps in this first test? Do you think they can win today? Oh, look, it's going to be tough, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm backing them, as always. Nice, I like that. And which batsman then? We've probably got to score 100 from someone. So who are you looking at to score us a ton? Oh, Steve the ship, Kane Williamson. Yeah. Surely he's going to step up. I mean, he's been he's been brilliant so far, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree with you, Joe. All right, mate, you know how this game works. You get three sporting categories, you choose one, and then you get three questions. And if you get them all right, you win the prizes. But as soon as you get one wrong, the ball goes through to the keeper, and that keeper is Ian Smith, and he can stump you if he gets it right. So today, your sporting categories are basketball, tennis, and cricket. Which one of those do you like? Oh... It's a bit risky, but I'll take Smithy on in his own turf. Cricket. <laughs> the amount of times we've heard this, Smithy. They, they never learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been done a couple of times. Uh, Joey from Palmerston North. Uh, good luck, son. That's all I can say to you. Good luck. Uh, bring it on. Oh, I like that. That's the attitude we've got to have today as well. Bring it on. Nothing's impossible. All right, Joe. First question. Cole Jamieson set a new record for the fastest New Zealand bowler to 50 test wickets. Previous record holder Shane Bond took 12 tests to get to the mark. How many tests did Jamieson take to get there? Nine. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Solid opening partnership there for Joe, Smithy. You would have got that one easy. Yeah, I'd have got that. I think I'd have got that one. Hey, Joe, you're not from the United Club, are you? Where they got COVID at practice. You're not from that club? Oh, no, mate. No, no I'm not involved with cricket up here. 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Literally wash your hands of that one pretty quickly, Joe. Well done, mate. Yeah. All right, mate, question number two. So Richard Hadley is without a doubt New Zealand's greatest ever bowler. He took 34, uh, 36 five-wicket bags, but how many 10-wicket hauls did Sir Richard Hadley produce in his career? Four. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, so a chance for a stumping, Smithy. How many 10-wicket hauls did Sir Richard Hadley get in his career? And you're probably involved in quite a few of those. Uh, quite a few, I would think, but um, 10 weeks is a lot. Which is a hell of a lot. I'm going to say 16. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. So Richard Hadley, nine 10 wicket hauls in his career. And just to give it some context, next, next best is Dan Vittori with three. And no one else in New Zealand history has more than one outside of those two. Oh, so pretty rare. Oh, uh, good not that good after all, is he? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good, Hadley. <laughs> it would have felt like 16 being behind the stump, Smithy. Just, it just seems like he got wickets all the time. Just amazing. Yeah, he, uh, give him a new ball and look out. Absolutely. Give him a new ball and watch him hit the scene. Magnificent. Rhythm and swing. Bit like Southie lately. Uh, Joe, all right, last one. Chance still to collect all the prizes. Which flamboyant former umpire used to famously give people out with a crooked finger? Oh. Billy Bowden. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. There you go, Joe. You are a winner. 50 bucks from the TAB and those Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages, sleeping challenges, but read the label and take as directed, Joe. Well done, mate. Oh, that's brilliant, fellas. Happy as with that. Oh, well, have a great day, Joe. Uh, Great start to the week for you, mate. Enjoy the Manawatu. Uh, It's... um, it's okay if, as long as the wind's not blowing, and that's never. So uh, enjoy it. Oh, it's, a, it's a wee bit windy this morning, but I've got the sun's out. That's the main thing. Good on you, mate. Okay, good on you, Joe. You Thanks for partaking this morning. Yeah, same to you, brother. Uh, 11.36 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, uh, we shall have a clue. In fact, we'll give an answer to you for Baz and Izzy's uh, morning show uh, quiz that they're giving, uh, and you've got a chance to win a lot of money. Uh, this week because we're featuring Christchurch. It's coming up shortly. It's Bezzy's and Izzy's radio frequencies. It's Bezzy's and Izzy's radio frequencies. She walks real slow pace. She knows where she be going internationally. 11.42 here on SENZ and Baz and Izzy are putting a spotlight on SENZ's Christchurch frequency. Uh, that's 12.60am, yes, 12.60am, which means 1260 bucks up for grabs. Uh, to make it even easier for you, here's the answer to one of the 10 questions the boys will be asking tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Which New Zealand national sports team did Ricky Herbert coach? Of course, that's a very simple one. That is the all-whites. Shouldn't have even had to give you that one. Uh, that's just a given. Ricky Herbert, coach of the all-whites. So uh, more answers for you right across the day with staff and the drive team, Kirsty and Beaver. And then, of course, tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, you must be listening to Baz and Izzy for your chance to win 1260 bucks For every question you get right, you get $12.60. Get the lot right, you get 1260 bucks. Magnificent. Speaking of magnificent, how about the uh, Tiako Racing's Mark Walker claiming his fourth uh, Singapore Trainers Premiership title? 
uh, to add to his five New Zealand titles. Man, does that guy have a fantastic strike rate and just another classic example uh, example of the Tangerine Army and just how they are effective in all conditions, it seems. Uh, particularly uh, looking for that too from our spinners getting more and more effective. Got so many texts that, that have uh, come in on this issue. Uh, before all that, I've got to clear up something, I think, from... Uh, uh, yeah, from Goose. That's my exact point, Smithy. Brandon didn't say he wanted to win a Roosters jersey. He said it he wanted to win premierships regardless of who whoever's jersey he was wearing. So that's uh, Goose. I uh, hope it's cleared that up for you, mate. Uh, in terms of uh, JG, history says we will lose badly today. No shots fired and consequently lose the next test in three days. What upsets me is if we won the toss, we would probably be winning this test match. Hmm, interesting. Would we? Maybe not. Hey, look, we had that great opening partnership in the first innings, and that set up uh, a probability of us going deep into this test match, and that is what we've done. Uh, but we lost 11 wickets, I think, for around about 130 since that opening partnership, so um, we're a bit to work on in, in that regard. Uh, that's been a pretty quick downfall for those 11 wickets after the great start from Young and from Latham when it was obviously a lot easier to bat. Uh, can you ask New Zealand cricket, uh, could they have invested more in this team and had our Red Bull players only over in India training or playing a lot earlier? Uh, tests were set in the calendar, not just a last-minute fill-in. Interesting uh, question, Richard. Uh, I'm sure the boys will debate that too uh, on our ball-by-ball uh, -ball SENZ coverage starting at 5 o'clock. Could we have done more for the team? Uh, a normal situation, perhaps, yes. In COVID situation, perhaps no. For instance, you can't have net bowlers at the ground. Uh, we've talked about this with Deepak Patel. We used to have uh, 12, 13, 14, say maybe 15 net bowlers, most of who would be young spinners on their way through, pristinely dressed in their whites, just looking for an opportunity to bowl in an international player and create a bit of an impression. Uh, we, we did that way, way, way back. Um, but these days, of course, you know, the, these kids would have to be COVID tested. You'd have to uh, rest assured that they haven't come from parts of India uh, where COVID has been rife. Um, so you just have to stay within your bubble and practice within your bubble. So it's not quite as easy as that, all said and done. Normal situation, I think perhaps that would have been the case. Uh, so they can't get enough, uh, can't say enough about Saudi. Didn't have him in my starting side under pressure, but in my opinion, as blunder as as the keep as as a keeper, who's next in line? Cheers, Ken. Well, Ken, uh, he did make a, a couple of blues, but very low bounce for Tom Blundell. Uh, he just needs a lot of work in those conditions as well. Uh, so uh, I, I'm convinced he is. I, I was disappointed the way he battled actually. Uh, to be honest, uh, whilst he survived a long time, he did nothing. Did absolutely nothing. Uh, and the partnership with Jameson, it, was, it stagnated. And it was almost as if we were just buying time or trying to bat out time in that situation without being positive. He faced the thick end of around 15 overs, Tom Blundell, and never hit anything that looked like a boundary and really didn't have a lot of intent to do so. And you, you're just buying trouble in that respect. He's a better player than that. Uh, and I would back him to be a lot more positive next time around. So uh, I think that was perhaps one of, one of our issues there. Uh, so uh, pretty, have we covered all the aspects, John? Uh, uh, considering AJs and Somerville played no cricket for six months, says Chris, and with being locked down in Auckland, we're the only allowed to practice by themselves. I think they've done reasonably well. No one said anything about these two uh, not being our best spinners before the test started. The last time AJs was selected, he got wickets to help us beat England. 
uh, before the World Test Championship, before that versus Pakistan and Sharjah, uh, or was that in Sri Lanka? So, um, yeah, look, hey, look, they are. They're our best options. No doubt about it, Chris. Um, but, you know, our best options seem to be way behind India's multitude of options, and, and that's what we've been trying to hint at, trying to uh, close the gap. I'm not trying to produce 10 of them, just one or two or three who are there and they can spin the ball and get more revolution, get that ball coming down so you can actually, as a batsman, hear it cutting through the air towards you. That's the great spinners where they're so aggressive. You can hear the ball coming, spinning at you. And we don't uh, tend to have too much of that up our sleeves. Um, uh, just finally, hi, Smithy, how can we get some consistency on what we watch on television in relation to sport where there are so many providers, Spark, Sky... Big Bash on Spark, Test Cricket on Sky. It's a circus. Well, it is a circus. It's a competitive market. Uh, that's the answer to that. Uh, I'd love it to be a war on Sky. I really would. It would be absolutely fantastic. Um, but New Zealand Cricket have gone to the marketplace and they've decided that they can spread their wings in terms of getting the maximum value from their coverage, them, their players. And they've seen that the best way to go about it. Um, I'm not sure still about the extent of the coverage or the quality of the coverage. Uh, from Spark, I was watching someone uh, the pub the other day, uh, some women's big bash, and it was still a bit stuttery, etc. I suppose it's improving, and uh, it's not always easy, but uh, I get your picture. I know that there's a lot of frustration around the country. Absolutely is. Uh, but uh, I unfortunately, I'm powerless, powerless to solve it uh, in this particular instance, or powerless, in fact, every instance, to be honest, John. Uh, here's, uh, have we got time to, re- uh, to just talk briefly about the breakers? Yeah, this mate, absolutely. scenario, though. They, they want to uh, take the, the season and, and postpone the start of it as far as they are concerned, maybe looking at a stay of perhaps 10 days, 12 days, so they can get their camp back in order because uh, COVID is, I won't say it's rife, but it's pretty prevalent in their environment. Yeah, very worrying uh, for the breakers. What, nine of their uh, squad in total? I think Matt Walsh was on this morning with the Bricky boys, um, and he's got COVID. Uh, his son, I think the coach, Dan Shamir, so can't deal with the players. I mean, they're supposed to tip off soon. Um, so surely, surely the organisers have to be like, well, this is a, a you know extraordinary circumstances, and this t- uh, this club is surely in, in no place to start the season as regularly as they can. And you know, with COVID these days, Smithy, things can change at the last minute. I'm sure it's not that much of a hassle to say, okay, breakers, we'll give you some time to recover from COVID. You're over here. You're trying to make it work. These, these things happen. Um, surely they can put off the season for the breakers. And uh, if they do put it off, but it, it stops the possibility of the breakers giving it to maybe another franchise, and then it starts to spread around the whole division. Yeah, their opening game was, is scheduled at this stage to be against the South East Melbourne Phoenix next Saturday, that being the 10th, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, but uh, Walsh has said uh, it is unlikely that the coach Shamir would be involved, and that they'd probably lose uh, at least two of their starting five as well, and that's on the back of losing uh, Tom Abercrombie for the first five or six weeks because of uh, injury. So, yeah, uh, a lot to consider there. Uh, good news text. Hey, lads, I won 50 buck bet yesterday on Mick and Greg show. Oh, but I haven't seen the bet turn up in my account. We'll get some our admin people on to that one. So we had a few of those. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, we're not trying to hold it back on you. It's just a case of processing these things over the course of a Saturday or a Sunday, I imagine, not quite so easy as terms of uh, during the week. Um, other than that, other than that, uh, it's, it's been a really busy morning, and it will be a very busy afternoon, I'm sure, on Staffy's show. We'll get the details on that very shortly.